Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Cupid from Bear Creek by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cupid from Bear Creek by Robert Howard. Someday, maybe, when I'm an old man, I'll have sense enough to stay away from these new mining camps which springs up overnight like mushroomers. There was that time in Teton Gulch, for example. It was an ill-advised moment when I stopped there on my way back to the Humboldts from the Yavapai country. I was a sheep for the shearing, and I was sure plenty. And if some of the shearers got fatally hurt in the process, they needn't to blame me. I was acting in self-defense all the way through. At first, I aimed to pass right through Teton Gulch without stopping. I was in a hurry to get back to my home country and find out was any misguided idiots trying to court Dolly Rixby, the belle of war paint, in my absence. I hadn't heard from her since I left Bear Creek five weeks before, which weren't surprising, seeing as how she couldn't write, nor none of her family, and I couldn't have read it if they had. But there was a lot of young bucks around war paint which could be counted on to start shining rounder the minute my back was turned. But my thirst got the best of me, and I stopped in the camp. I was drinking me a dram at the bar of the Yeller Dog Saloon and Hotel, when the barkeep says, after studying me a spell, he says, You must be Breckenridge Elkins of Bear Creek. I give the matter due consideration, and loud as how I was. How come you knowed me? I inquired suspiciously, because I had never been in Teton Gulch before. And he says, Well, I heard tell of Breckenridge Elkins, and when I seen you, I figured you must be him, because I don't see how they can be two men in the world that big. By the way, there's a friend of yourn upstairs, Blink Wiltshaw from War Paint. I've heard him brag about knowing you personal. He's upstairs now, fourth door from the stairhead, on the left. Now that there news interested me, because Blink was the most persistent of all them young mavericks which was trying to spark Dolly Rixby. Just the night before I left for Yavapai, I catched him coming out of her house and was fixin' to sweep the street with him when Dolly came out and stopped me, and made us shake hands. It suited me fine for him to be in Teton Gulch, or anywheres, just so he weren't nowheres nigh Dolly Rixby, so I thought I'd pass the time of day with him. I went upstairs and knocked on the door, and BAM went a gun inside, 
and a forty-five slug ripped through the door and taken a nick out of my off ear. Getting shot in the ear always did irritate me, so without waiting for no more demonstrations of hospitality, I give voice to my displeasure in a deafening beller and knocked the door off its hinges and busted into the room over its ruins. For a second I didn't see nobody, but then I heard a kind of gurgle going on and happened to remember that the door seemed kind of squishy underfoot when I tromped over it. So I knowed that whoever was in the room had got pinned under the door when I knocked it down. So I reached under it and got him by the collar and hauled him out. Sure enough, it was Blink Wiltshaw. He was limp as a lariat and glassy-eyed and pale, and was still kind of trying to shoot me with a six-shooter when I'd taken it away from him. "'What the hell's the matter with you?' I demanded sternly, dangling him by the collar with one hand, whilst shaking him till his teeth rattled. "'Didn't Dolly make us shake hands? What you mean trying to assassinate me through a hotel door?' "'Let me down, Breck,' he gasped. "'I didn't know it was you. "'I thought it was Rattlesnake Harrison coming after my gold.' "'So I sought him down. "'He grabbed a jug of liquor and taken a swig, "'and his hands shook so he spilled half of it down his neck. "'Well,' I demanded, "'ain't you going to offer me a snort, darn it?' "'Excuse me, Breckenridge,' he apologized. I'm so dern jumpy I don't know what I'm doing. You see them buckskin pokes, he said, pintin' to some bags on the bed. Them is plumb full of nuggets. I've been mining up the gulch, and I hit a regular bonanza the first week. But it ain't doing me no good. What you mean, I demanded. These mountains is full of outlaws, says he. They robs and murders every man which makes a strike. The stagecoach has been stuck up so often, nobody sends their dust out on it no more. When a man makes a pile, he sneaks out through the mountains at night, with his gold on pack mules. I aimed to do that last night, but them outlaws has got spies all over the camp, and I know they got me spotted. Rattlesnake Harrison's their chief, and he's a ring-tailed he-devil. I've been squatting over this here gold with my pistol in fear and trembling, expecting them to come right into camp after me. I'm dern nigh loco. And he shivered and cussed kind of whimpery and taken another dram and cocked his pistol and sat there, shaking like he'd seen a ghost or two. You gotta help me, Breckenridge, he said desperately. You take this here gold out for me, will you? The outlaws don't know you. You could hit the old engine path south of the camp and follow to Hellwind Pass. The Chaudier Wapiton stage goes through there about sundown. You could put the gold on the stage there and they'd take it on to Wapiton. Harrison wouldn't never think of holding it up after it left Hellwind. They always holds it up this side of the pass. What I want to risk my neck for you for, I demanded bitterly. Memories of Dolly Rixby rising up before me if you ain't got the guts to tote out your own gold. "'Tain't altogether the gold, Breck,' says he. "'I'm trying to get married and—' "'Married,' says I. "'Here, in Teton Gulch? "'To a gal in Teton Gulch?' "'Married to a gal in Teton Gulch,' he avowed. 
I was aiming to get hitched tomorrow, but there ain't a preacher or justice of the peace in camp to tie the knot. But her uncle, the Reverend Rembrandt Brockton, is a circuit rider, and he's due to pass through Hellwind on his way to Wapeton today. I was aiming to sneak out last night, hide in the hills till the stage come through, then put the gold on the stage and bring Brother Rembrandt back with me. But yesterday... I learned Harrison Spice was watching me, and I'm scared to go. Now Brother Rembrandt will go on to Wapeaton, not knowing he's needed here, and no telling when I'll be able to get married. Hold on, I said hurriedly, doing some quick thinking. I didn't want this here wedding to fall through. The more Blink was married to some gal in Teton, the less he could marry Dolly Rixby. Blink, I said, grasping his hand warmly. Let it never be said that an Elkins ever turned down a friend in distress. I'll take your gold to Hellwind Pass and bring back Brother Rembrandt. Blink fell onto my neck and wept with joy. I'll never forget this, Breckenridge, says he, and I bet you won't neither. My hoss and pack mule are in the stables behind the saloon. I don't need no pack mule, I says. Captain Kidd can pack the dust easy. Captain Kidd was getting fed out in the corral next to the hotel. I went out there and got my saddlebags, which is a lot bigger than most saddlebags, because all of my plunder has to be made to fit my size. They're made out of three-ply elk skin, stitched with rawhide thongs, and a wildcat couldn't claw his way out of them. I noticed quite a bunch of men standing around the corral looking at Captain Kidd, but thought nothing of it because he is a hoss which naturally attracts attention. But whilst I was getting my saddlebags, a long, lanky cuss with long, yaller whiskers come up and says, says he, Is that your hoss in the corral? If he ain't, he ain't nobody's, I says. Well, he looks a whole lot like a hoss that was stole off my ranch six months ago, he said. And I seen ten or twelve hard-looking hombres gathering round me. I laid down my saddlebags sudden-like and reached for my guns when it occurred to me that if I had a fight there I might get arrested and it would interfere with me bringing Brother Rembrandt in for the wedding. If that there is your hoss, I said, you ought to be able to lead him out of that there corral. Sure I can, he says with an oath, and what's more, I aim to. He looked at me suspiciously, but he'd taken up a rope and clumb the fence and started toward Captain Kidd, which was chawing on a block of hay in the middle of the corral. Captain Kidd throwed up his head and laid back his ears and showed his teeth, and Jake stopped sudden and turned pale. Ah, uh, I don't believe that there is my hoss after all, says he. Put that lasso on him, I roared, pulling my right-hand gun. You say he's yourn, I say he's mine. One of us is a liar and a hoss-thief, and I aim to prove which. Go on, before I festoons your system with lead polka-dots. He looked at me, and he looked at Captain Kidd, and he turned bright green all over. He looked again at my forty-five, which I now had cocked and punted at his long neck, which his Adam's apple was going up and down like a monkey on a pole, and he began to edge toward Captain Kidd again, holding the rope behind him, and sticking out one hand. Whoa, boy, he said, kind of shudderingly. 
Whoa, good old feller. Nice hossie. Whoa, boy. Ow! He let out a awful howl as Captain Kidd made a snap and bit a chunk out of his hide. He turned to run, but Captain Kidd wheeled and let fly with both heels, which caught Jake in the seat of the britches, and his shriek of despair was horrible to hear as he went head first through the corral fence into a hoss trough on the other side. From this he ariz, dripping water, blood, and profanity, and he shook a quivering fist at me and croaked, "'You turn murderer! I'll have your life for this!' I don't hold no conversation with hoss thieves, I snorted, and picked up my saddlebags and stalked through the crowd, which gave back in a hurry. I'd taken the saddlebags up to Blink's room and told him about Jake, thinking he'd be amused, but got a case of aggers again, and said, That was one of Harrison's men. He meant to take your hoss. It's an old trick, and honest folks don't dare interfere. Now they got you spotted. What'll you do? Time tied and a Elkins waits for no man, I snorted, dumping the gold into the saddlebags. If that yeller whiskered coyote wants any trouble, he can get a belly full. Don't worry. Your gold will be safe in my saddlebags. It's as good as in the Wapitan stage right now and by midnight I'll be back with Brother Rembrandt Brockton to hit you up with his niece. Oh, don't yell so loud, begged Blink. The cussed camp's full of spies. Some of them may be downstairs now, listening. I weren't speaking above a whisper, I said indignantly. That bull's beller may pass for a whisper on Bear Creek, says he, wiping off the sweat but I bet they can hear it from one end of the gulch to the other, at least. It's a pitiful sight to see a man with a case of the skirts. I shook hands with him and left him, pouring red liquor down his gullet like it was water, and I swung the saddlebags over my shoulder and went downstairs. The barkeep leaned over the bar and whispered to me, Look out for Jake Roman. He was in here a minute ago looking for trouble. He pulled out just before you come down, but he won't be forgetting what your hoss done to him. Not when he tries to set down, he won't, I agreed, and went on out to the corral, and there was a crowd of men watching Captain Kidd eat his hay. One of them seen me and hollered, Hey, boys, here comes the giant. He's going to saddle that man-eating monster. Hey, Bill, tell the boys at the bar. And here come a whole passel of fellers running out of all the saloons, and they lined the corral fence solid, started laying bets whether I'd get the saddle on Captain Kidd or get my brains kicked out. I thought miners must all be crazy. They ought to have knowed I was able to saddle my own hoss. Well, I saddled him, throwed on the saddlebags, and clumb aboard. He pitched about ten jumps, like he always does when I first fork him, torn nothing, but them miners hollered like wild engines, and when he accidentally bucked himself and me through the fence and knocked down a section of it, along with fifteen men which was settin' on the top rail, the way they howled you'd a thought something terrible had happened. Me and Captain Kidd don't generally bother about gates. We usually makes our own through whatever happens to be in front of us. But them miners is a weakly breed, 
because as I rode out of the town I seen the crowd dipping four or five of them in a hoss trough to bring em to, on account of Captain Kidd having accidentally tromped on em. Well, I rode out of the gulch and up the ravine to the south, and come out into the high timbered country and hit the old engine trail Blink had told me about. It warn't traveled much. I didn't meet nobody after I left the gulch. I figured to hit Hellwind Pass at least an hour before sundown, which would give me plenty of time. Blink said the stage passed through there about sundown. I'd have to bring back Brother Rembrandt on Captain Kidd, I reckon, but that there hoss can carry double and still, outrun and outlast any other hoss in the state of Nevada. I figured on getting back to Teton about midnight or a little later. After I'd went several miles, I'd come to Apache Canyon, which was a deep, narrow gorge, with a river at the bottom which went roaring and foaming along betwixt rock walls a hundred and fifty feet high. The old trail hit the rim at a place where the canyon warn't only about seventy foot wide, and somebody'd felled a whopping big pine tree on one side, so it fell across and made a footbridge where a man could walk across. They'd once been a gold strike in Apache Canyon and a big camp there, but now it was plumb abandoned and nobody lived anywheres near it. I turned east and followed the rim for about half a mile. Here I came onto an old wagon road which was just about growed up with saplings now, but it run down into a ravine into the bed of the canyon, and they was a bridge across the river which had been built during the days of the gold rush. Most of it had been washed away by head-rises, but a man could still ride a horse across what was left. So I'd done so, and rode up a ravine on the other side, and come out on the high ground again. I'd rode a few hundred yards past the ravine, when somebody said, Hey! And I wheeled with both guns in my hands. Out of the brash sattered a tall gent in a long frock coat and broad-brimmed hat. Who are you and what the hell you mean by hollering, hey, at me, I demanded courteously, biting my guns at him. An Elkins is always polite. I am the Reverend Rembrandt Brockton, my good man, says he. I am on my way to Teton Gulch to unite my niece and a young man of that camp in the bonds of holy matrimony. The he you don't say, I says. A foot? I alit from the stagecoach at, uh, Hades Wind Pass, says he. Some very agreeable cowboys happened to be awaiting the stage there, and they offered to escort me to Teton. How come you knowed your niece was wanting to be united in acrimony? I asked. The cowboys informed me that such was the case, said he. Whereat are they now, I next inquire. The mount with which they supplied me went lame a little while ago, says he. They left me here while they went to procure another from a nearby ranch house. I don't know who'd have a ranch anywheres near here, I muttered. They ain't got much sense leaving you here by your high lonesome. You mean to imply there is danger, says he, blinking mildly at me. These here mountains is lousy with outlaws, which would as soon carve a preacher's gullet as anybody's, I said. And then I thought of something else. Hey, I says, I thought the stage didn't come through the pass till sundown. 
Such was the case, says he, but the schedule has been altered. Heck, I says, I was aiming to put this here gold on it which my saddlebags is full of. Now I'll have to take it back to Teton with me. Well, I'll bring it out tomorrow and catch the stage then. Brother Rembrandt, I'm Breckenridge Elkins of Bear Creek, and I come out here to meet you and escort you back to this gulch, so's you could unite your niece and Blink Wiltshaw in the holy bounds of alimony. Come on, we'll ride double. But I must await my cowboy friends, he said. Ah, here they come now. I looked over to the east and seen about fifteen men ride into sight out of the brush and move toward us. One was leading a hoss without no saddle on to it. Ah, my good friends, beamed Brother Rembrandt. They have procured a mount for me, even as they promised. He hauled a saddle out of the brush and says, Would you please saddle my horse for me when they get here? I should be delighted to hold your rifle while you did so. I started a handy my Winchester when the snap of a twig under a hoss's hoof made me whirl quick. A feller had just rode out of a thicket about a hundred yards south of me, and he was raising a Winchester to his shoulder. I recognized him instantly. If us Bear Creek folks didn't have eyes like a hawk, we'd never live to get growed. It was Jake Roman. Our Winchesters banged together. His lead fanned my ear, and mine knocked him endwise out of his saddle. Cowboys, hell, I roared. Them's Harrison's outlaws. I'll save you, Brother Rembrandt. I swooped him up with one arm and gouged Captain Kidd with the spurs, and he went from there like a thunderbolt with its tail on fire. Them outlaws come on with wild yells. I ain't in the habit of running from people, but I was afeard they might do the reverent harm if it come to a close fight, and if he stopped a hunk of lead, Blink might not get to marry his niece, and might get disgusted and go back to war paint and start sparkin' Dolly Rixby again. I was heading back for the canyon, aiming to make a stand in the ravine if I had to, and them outlaws was killin' their hosses trying to get to the bend of the trail ahead of me and cut me off. Captain Kidd was running with his belly to the ground, but I'll admit Brother Rembrandt weren't helping me much. He was laying across my saddle with his arms and legs waving wildly because I hadn't had time to set him comfortable, and when the horn jobbed him in the belly he uttered some words I wouldn't have expected to hear spoke by a minister of the gospel. Guns began to crack and lead hummed past us and Brother Rembrandt twisted his head around and screamed, Stop that shootin', you sons of... you'll hit me! I thought it was kind of selfish of Brother Rembrandt not to mention me too, but I said, Tain't no use to remonstrate with them skunks, Reverend. They ain't got no respect for a preacher even. But to my amazement the shootin' stopped, though them bandits yelled louder than ever and flogged their cayuses. But about that time I seen they had me cut off from the lower canyon crossin', so I wrenched Captain Kidd into the old engine trace and headed straight for that canyon rim as hard as he could hammer, with the brush lashin' and snappin' round us and slappin' Brother Rembrandt in the face when it whipped back. The outlaws yelled and wheeled in behind us, but Captain Kidd drawed away from em with 
every stride, and the canyon rim loomed just ahead of us. "'Pull up, you jack-eared son of Belial!' howled Brother Rembrandt. "'You'll go over the edge!' "'Be at ease, Reverend,' I reassured him. "'We're going over the log.' "'Lord, have mercy on my soul!' he squalled, and shut his eyes and grabbed the stirrup leather with both hands. Then Captain Kidd went over that log like thunder rolling on Judgment Day. I doubt if there's another hoss west of the Pecos, which would bolt out onto a log-foot bridge across a canyon a hundred and fifty foot deep like that, but they ain't nothing in this world Captain Kidd's scared of, except maybe me. He didn't slacken his speed none. He streaked across that log like it was a quarter track, with the bark and splinters flying from under his hooves, and if one foot had slipped an inch, it would have been Sally bar the door. But he didn't slip, and we was over and on the other side almost before you could catch your breath. You can open your eyes now, Brother Rembrandt, I said kindly, but he didn't say nothing. He'd fainted. I shook him to wake him up, and in a flash he come to and give a shriek and grabbed my leg like a bar trap. I reckon he thought we was still on the log. I was trying to pry him loose when Captain Kidd chose that moment to run under a low-hanging oak tree limb. That's his idea of a joke. That there hoss has got a great sense of humor. I looked up just in time to see the limb coming, but not in time to dodge it. It was as big around as my thigh, and it took me smack across the wishbone. We was going full speed, and something had to give way. It was the girths, both of them. Captain Kidd went out from under me, and me and Brother Rembrandt and the saddle hit the ground together. I jumped up, but Brother Rembrandt laid there going, Woog, 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 like water running out of a busted jug. And then I seen them outlaws had dismounted off their hosses and was corning across the bridge single file with their Winchesters in their hands. I didn't waste no time shooting them misguided idiots. I run to the end of the footbridge, ignoring the slugs they slung at me. It was pretty poor shooting because they weren't sure of their footing and didn't aim good. So I only got one bullet in the hind leg and was creased three or four other unimportant places. Not enough to worry about. I bent my knees and got hold of the end of the log and heaved up with it. Them outlaws hollered and fell along it like tin pins and dropped their Winchesters and grabbed hold of the log. I'd given it a shake and shook some of them off like persimmons off a limb after a frost, and then I swung the butt around clear of the rim and let go. And it went down, end over end, into the river, a hundred and fifty feet below, with a dozen men still hanging on to it and yelling blue murder. A regular geyser of water splashed up when they hit, and the last I seen of them they was all swirling down the river together in a thrashing tangle of arms and legs and heads. I remembered Brother Rembrandt and run back to where he'd fell, but was already on to his feet. He was kind of pale and wild-eyed, and his legs kept bending under him, but he had hold of the saddlebags and was trying to drag him into a thicket, mumbling kind of dizzily to himself. "'It's all right now, Brother Rembrandt,' I said kindly. "'Them outlaws is plumb horse de combat now, as the French say. 
Blink's gold is safe. Blink, says Brother Rembrandt, pulling two guns from under his coattails, and if I hadn't grabbed him, he would have undoubtedly shot me. We wrestled round, and I protested. Hold on, Brother Rembrandt. I ain't no outlaw. I'm your friend, Breckenridge Elkins. Don't you remember? His only reply was a promise to eat my heart without no seasoning. Then he sunk his teeth into my ear and started to chaw it off whilst gouging for my eyes with both thumbs and spurring me severely in the hind legs. I seen he was out of his head from fright and the fall he got, so I said sorrowfully, Brother Rembrandt, I hate to do this. It hurts me more than it does you, but we can't waste time like this. Blink is waiting to get married. And with a sigh, I busted him over the head with the butt of my six-shooter, and he fell over and twitched a few times, and then lay limp. Poor Brother Rembrandt, I sighed sadly. All I hope is I ain't addled your brain so you forgot the wedding ceremony. So as to not have no more trouble with him when, and if he come to, I'd tied his arms and legs with pieces of malariate and taken his weapons, which was most surprising arms for a circuit rider. His pistols had the triggers out of them, and they was three notches on the butt of one and four on the other. Moreover, he had a bowie knife in his boot and a deck of marked cards and a pair of loaded dice in his hip pocket. But that weren't none of my business. About the time I finished tying him up, Captain Kidd come back to see if he'd killed me or just crippled me for life. To show him I can take a joke, too, I give him a kick in the belly, and when he could get his breath again and undouble himself, I throwed the saddle on him. I spliced the girths with the rest of my lariat and put Brother Rembrandt in the saddle and clumb on behind, and we headed for Teton Gulch. After an hour or so, Brother Rembrandt come to and says kind of dizzily, was anyone saved from the typhoon? You're all right, Brother Rembrandt, I assured him. I'm taking you to Teton Gulch. I remember, he muttered. It all comes back to me. Damn, Jake Roman. I thought it was a good idea, but it seems I was mistaken. I thought we had an ordinary human being to deal with. I know when I'm licked. I'll give you a thousand dollars to let me go. Take it easy, Brother Rembrandt, I soothed, seeing he was still delirious. We'll be in Teton in no time. I don't want to go to Teton, he hollered. You got to, I said. You got to unite your niece and Blink Wiltshaw in the holy buns of parsimony. To hell with Blink Wiltshaw and my niece, he yelled. You ought to be ashamed using such language, and you a minister of the gospel, I reproved him sternly. His reply would have curled a Paiute's hair. I was so scandalized I made no reply. I was just fixin' to untie him so as he could ride more comfortable, but I thought if he was that crazy I better not. So I give no heed to his ravens, which growed more and more unbearable. In all my born days I never seen such a preacher. It was sure a relief to me to sight Teton at last. It was night when we rode down the ravine into the gulch, and the dance halls and saloons was going full blast. I rode up behind the yaller dog saloon and hauled Brother Rembrandt off with me, and sought him on his feet, and he said kind of despairingly, For the last 
time, listen to reason. I got fifty thousand dollars cashed up in the hills. I'll give you every cent if you'll untie me. I don't want no money, I said. All I want is for you to marry your niece and blink Wiltshaw. I'll untie you then. All right, he said, all right, but untie me now. I was just fixing to do it when the barkeep come out with a lantern, and he shone it on our faces and said in a startled tone, Who the hell is that with you, Elkins? You wouldn't never suspect it from his language, I says, but it's the Reverend Rembrandt Brockton. Are you crazy, says the barkeep? That's Rattlesnake Harrison. I give up, said my prisoner. I'm Harrison. I'm licked. Lock me up somewhere, away from this lunatic. I was standing in a kind of daze with my mouth open, but now I woke up and bellered, What? You're Harrison? I see it all now. Jake Roman overheard me talking to Blink Wiltshaw, and rode off and fixed it with you to fool me like you done, so's to get Blink's gold. That's why you wanted to hold my Winchester whilst I saddled your cayuse. How'd you ever guess, he sneered. We ought to a shot you from ambush like I wanted to. But Jake wanted to catch you alive and torture you to death, count of your horse biting him. The fool must have lost his head at the last minute and decided to shoot you after all. If you hadn't recognized him, we'd had you surrounded and stuck up before you knew what was happening. But now the real preacher's gone on to Wapiton, I hollered. I gotta foller him and bring him back. Why, he's here, said one of the men, which was gathering round us. He come in with his niece an hour ago on the stage from war paint. War paint, I howled, hit in the belly by a premonition. I run into the saloon where they was a lot of people, and there was Blink and a gal holding hands in front of an old man with a long white beard, and he had a book in his hand and t'other lifted in the air. He was saying, And I now pronounces you all man and wife, them which God hath joined together, let no snake hunter put asunder. Dolly, I yelled. Both of them jumped about four foot and whirled, and Dolly Rigsby jumped in front of Blink and spread her arms like she was shooing chickens. "'Don't you tetch him, Breckenridge Elkins!' she hollered. "'I just married him, and I don't aim for no humble grizzly to spile him.' "'But I don't savvy all this,' I said dizzily, nervously fumbling with my guns, which is a habit of mine when upsot. Everybody in the wedding party started ducking out a line." and Blink said hurriedly, "'It's this way, Breck. When I made my pile so unexpectedly quick, I sent for Dolly to come and marry me like she'd promised the day after you left for Yavapai. I was aiming to take my gold out today, like I told you, so me and Dolly could go on to San Francisco on our honeymoon, but I learned Harrison's gang was watching me, just like I told you. I wanted to get my gold out, and I wanted to get you out of the way before Dolly and her uncle got here on the war paint stage. So I told you that lie about Brother Rembrandt being on the Wapiton stage. It was the only lie. You said you was marrying a gal in Teton, I accused fiercely. Well, says he, I did marry her in Teton. You know, Breck, 
all's fair in love and war now now boys said brother rembrandt the real one i mean the gal's married your rivalry is over and they's no use holding grudges shake hands and be friends all right i said heavily no man can't say i ain't a good loser i was cut deep but i concealed my busted heart leastwise i concealed it all i was able to them folks which says i crippled blink wiltshaw with malice aforethought is liars which i'll sweep the road with when i catches em when my emotions is wrought up i unconsciously uses more of my strength than i realizes i didn't aim to break blink's arm when i shook hands with him it was just the stress of my emotions likewise it was dolly's fault that her uncle rembrandt got throwed out a winder and some others got their heads banged when she busted me with that cuspidor i knew that our love was dead forever tears come into my eyes as i waded through the crowd and i had to move fast to keep from making a fool of myself them that was flaying out of my way ought to have knowed it was done more in sorrow than in anger End of Cupid from Bear Creek The Riot at Cougar Paw by Robert Howard This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE RIOT AT COUGAR PAW by Robert Howard I was out in the blacksmith's shop by the corral, beating out some shoes for Cap'n Kidd, when my brother John comes saunterin' in. He'd been away for a few weeks up in the Cougar Paw country, and he'd evidently done well, whatever he'd been doin', because he was in a first-class humor with hisself, and plumb spillin' over with high spirits and conceit. When he feels prime like that, he wants to rawhide everybody he meets, especially me. John thinks he's a wit, but I figure he's just half right. Are you slavin' over a hot forge for that mangy, flea-bit hunk of buzzard meat again? He greeted me. That broom-tail ain't worth the iron you wastes on his splayed-out hooves. He knows the easiest way to get under my hide is to poke fun at Cap'n Kidd but I reflected it was just envy on his part, and resisted my natural impulse to bend the tongs over his head. I'd taken the white-hot iron out of the forge and put it on the anvil and started beating it into shape with the sixteen-pound sledge I always uses. I got no use for the toys which most blacksmiths uses for hammers. If you got nothing better to do than criticize an animal which is a damn sight better hoss than you'll ever be a man, I said with dignity between licks, I calls your attention to a door right behind you which nobody ain't using at the moment. He bust into loud, rude laughter and said, You call that thing a hoss-shoe? It's big enough for a snow-plow. Here, long as you're in the business, see can you fit a shoe for that he sought his foot up on the anvil and i give it a good slam with the hammer 
John let out a awful holler and begun hopping around over the shop and cussing fit to curl your hair. I kept on hammering my iron. Just then Pap stuck his head in the door and beamed on us and said, You boys won't never grow up. Always playing your childish games and sporting in your innocent frolics. He's busted my toes, said John bloodthirstily, and I'll have his heart's blood if it's the last thing I do. Chips off the old block, beamed Pap. It takes me back to the time when, in the days of my happy childhood, I emptied a sawed-off shotgun into the seat of Brother Joel's britches for telling our old man it was me which put that bar trap in his bunk. He'll rue the day, promised John, and hobbled off to the cabin with moans and profanity. A little later, from his yells, I gathered he had persuaded Ma or one of the gals to rub his toe with hoss liniment. He could make more racket about nothing than any Elkins I ever knowed. I went on and made the shoes and put them on Cap'n Kid, which is a job about like roping and hog-tying a mountain cyclone. And by the time I got through and went up to the cabin to eat, John seemed to have got over his mad spell. He was laying on his bunk with his foot up on it, all bandaged up, and he says, Breckenridge, they ain't no use in grown men holding a grudge. Let's forget about it. Who's holding any grudge, I asked, making sure he didn't have a bowie knife in his left hand. I don't know why they should be so much racket over a trifle that don't amount to nothing, nohow. Well, he said, this here busted foot discommodes me a heap. I won't be able to ride for a day or so, and, and they is business up to Cougar Paw I ought to attend to. I thought you'd just come from there, I says. I did, he said, but they is a man up there which has promised me something which is due me, and now I ain't able to go collect. Why don't you go and collect for me, Breckenridge? You ought to, darn it, cause it's your fault I can't ride. The man's name is Bill Santry and he lives up in the mountains a few miles from Cougarpaw. You'll likely find him in Cougarpaw any day, though. What's this he promised you, I asked. Just ask for Bill Santry, he said. When you find him, say to him, I'm John Elkin's brother, and you can give me what you promised him. My family always imposes onto my good nature. Generally, I'd rather go do what they want me to do than go to the trouble of arguing with them. Oh, all right, I says. I ain't got nothing to do right now. Thanks, Breckenridge, he said. I knowed I could count on you. So, a couple of days later, I was riding through the Cougar Range, which is very thick-timbered mountains, and rapidly approaching Cougar Paw. I had never been there before, but I was following a winding wagon road, which I knowed would eventually fetch me there. The road wound around the shoulder of a mountain, and ahead of me I seen a narrow path opened into it, and just before I got there I heard a bull beller, and a gal screamed, Help! Help! Old man Kirby's bull's loose! They came a patter of feet, and behind them a smashing and a crashing in the underbrush, and a gal run out of the path onto the road, and a rampaging bull was right behind her with his head lowered to toss her. I reined Captain Kidd between her and him, and knowed Captain Kidd to do the rest without no advice from me. 
He done so by wheeling and lamming his heels into that bull's ribs so hard he kicked the critter clean through a rail fence on the other side of the road. Captain Kidd hates bulls, and he's too big and strong for any of them. He would have then jumped on the critter and stomped him, but I restrained him, which made him mad, and whilst he was trying to buck me off, the bull untangled itself and high-tailed it down the mountain, bawling like a scared yearling. When I had got Captain Kidd in hand, I looked round and seen the gal looking at me very admiringly. I swept off my Stetson and bowed from my saddle and says, Can I assist you any farther, ma'am? She blushed purty as a pitcher and said, I'm much obliged, stranger. That there critter and I had his hooks into my hide. Where are you heading? If you ain't in no hurry, I'd admire to have you drop by the cabin and have a snack of bar meat and honey. We live up the path about a mile. They ain't nothing I'd rather do, I assured her. But just at the present, I got business in Cougarpaw. How far is it from here? About five mile down the road, says she. My name's Joan. What's yourn? Breckenridge Elkins of Bear Creek, I said. Say, I gotta push on to Cougar Paw, but I'll be riding back this way tomorrow morning about sunup. If you could... I'll be waiting right here for you, she said so promptly it made my head swim. No doubt about it. It was love at first sight. I... I got store-bought shoes, she added shyly. I'll be a-wearing em when you come along. I'll be here if I have to wade through fire, flood, and hostile engines, I assured her, and rode on down the wagon trace with my manly heart swelling with pride in my bosom. They ain't many mountain men which can awake the fire of love in a gal's heart at first sight. A gal likewise which was as beautiful as that there gal, and rich enough to own store-bought shoes. As I told Captain Kidd, they was just something about a Elkins. It was about noon when I rode into Cougarpaw, which is a tolerably small village, sought up amongst the mountains, with a few cabins where folks lived, and a few more, which was a grocery store and a jail and a saloon. Right behind the saloon was a good-sized cabin with a big sign on to it which said, Jonathan Middleton, Mayor of Cougarpaw. They didn't seem to be nobody in sight, not even on the saloon porch. So I rode on to the corrals which served for a livery stable and wagon yard, and a man come out of the cabin nigh it and took charge of Captain Kidd. He wanted to turn him in with a couple of mules which hadn't never been broke, but I knowed what Captain Kidd would do to them mules, so the feller gave him a corral to hisself, and belly ached just because Captain Kidd playfully bit the seat out of his breeches. He calmed down when I paid for the breeches. I asked him where I could find Bill Santry, and he said likely he was up to the store. So I went up to the store, and it was about like all them stores you see in them kind of towns groceries and dry goods and grindstones and harness and such like stuff, and a wagon tongue somebody had mended recent. They weren't but the one store in the town, and it handled a little of everything. There was a sign on to it which said General Store, Jonathan Middleton, Proprietor. 
They was a bunch of fellows sitting around on goods boxes and benches, eating sody crackers and pickles out of a barrel, and they was a tolerable hard-looking gang. I said, I'm looking for Bill Santry, the biggest man in the store, which was sitting on a bench, says. You don't have to look no further. I'm Bill Santry. Well, I says, I'm Breckenridge Elkins, John Elkins' brother. You can give me what you promised him. Ha! he says with a snort like a hungry catamount rising sudden. They is nothing which could give me more pleasure. Take it with my blessing. And so saying, he picked up the wagon tongue and splintered it over my head. It was so unexpected that I lost my footin' and fell onto my back, and Santry give a wolfish yell and jumped onto my stomach with both feet, and the next thing I knowed, nine or ten more fellows was jumpin' up and down on me with their boots. Now, I can take a joke as well as the next man, but it always did make me mad for a feller to twist a spur into my hair and try to tear the scalp off. Santry having did this, I throwed off them lunatics which was trying to tromp out my innards and riz up amongst them with an outraged beller. I swept four or five of em into my arms and give em a grisly hug, and when I let go all they was able to do was fall on the floor and squawk about their busted ribs. I then turned on to the others, which was assaulting me with pistols and bowie knives and the butt into quirts and other villainous weapons, and when I laid into em, you should a heard em howl. Santry was trying to dismember my ribs with a butcher knife he got out of the pork barrel, so I picked up the pickle barrel and busted it over his head. He went to the floor under an avalanche of splintered staves and pickles and brine, and then I got hold of a grindstone and really started getting destructive. A grindstone is a good comforting implement to have hold of in a melee, but kind of clumsy. For instance, when I hove it at a feller which was trying to cock a sawed-off shotgun, it missed him entirely and knocked all the slats out of the counter, and nigh squashed four or five men which was trying to shoot me from behind it. I settled the shotgun feller's hash, with a box of canned beef, and then I got hold of a double-bitted axe, and the embattled citizens at Cougar Paw quit the field with blood curdle and howls of fear, them which was able to quit and howl. I stumbled over the thickly strewn casualties to the door, taking a few casual swipes at the shelves as I went past and knocking all the cans off of them. Just as I emerged into the street, with my axe lifted to chop down anybody which opposed me, a skinny-looking human bobbed up in front of me and hollered, Halt! In the name of the law! Paying no attention to the double-barreled shotgun he shoved in my face, I swung back my axe for a swipe and accidentally hit the sign over the door, and knocked it down on top of him. He let out a squall as he went down and let bam with the shotgun right in my face, so close it singed my eyebrows. I pulled the signboard off of him so I could get a good belt at him with my axe, but he hollered, I'm the sheriff. I demand you surrenders to properly constipated authority. I then noticed that he had a star pinned on the one gallus, so I put down my axe and let him take my guns. I never resists an officer of the law, 
Well, seldom ever, that is. He pointed his shotgun at me and says, I find you ten dollars for disturbing the peace. About this time, a lanky maverick with side whiskers come prancing around the corner of the building, and he started throwing fits like a locoed steer. The scoundrels ruined my store, he howled. He's got to pay me for the counters and winders he busted, and the shelves he knocked down, and the sign he ruined, and the pork keg he busted over my clerk's head. What do you think he ought to pay, Mr. Middleton? asked the sheriff. Five hundred dollars, said the mayor, bloodthirstily. Five hundred hell, I roared, stung to wrath. This here whole dern town ain't worth five hundred dollars. Anyway, I ain't got no money but fifty cents I owe to the fellow that runs the wagon yard. Give me the fifty cents, ordered the mayor. I'll credit that onto your bill. I'll credit my fist onto your skull, I snarled, beginning to lose my temper, because the butcher knife Bill Santry had carved my ribs with had salt on the blade, and the salt got into the cuts and smarted. I owes this fifty cents, and I gives it to the man I owes it to. Throw him in jail, raved Middleton. We'll keep him there till we figures out a job of work for him to do to pay out his fine. So the sheriff marched me down the street to the log cabin which they used for a jail, whilst Middleton went moaning round the ruins of his grocery store, paying no heed to the fellers which lay groaning on the floor. But I seen the rest of the citizens packing them out on stretchers to take them into the saloon to bring them to. The saloon had a sign, Square Deal Saloon, Jonathan Middleton, Proprietor and I heard fellers cussin' Middleton cause he made em pay for the liquor they poured onto the victim's cuts and bruises, but they cussed under their breath. Middleton seemed to pack a lot of power in that there town. Well, I laid down on the jailhouse bunk as well as I could, cause they always build them bunks for ordinary-sized men about six foot tall, and I wondered what in hell Bill Sentry had hit me with that wagon tongue for didn't seem to make no sense. I laid there and waited for the sheriff to bring me my supper, but he didn't bring none, and pretty soon I went to sleep and dreamed about Joan with her store-bought shoes. What woke me up was a awful racket in the direction of the saloon. I got up and looked out of the barred window. Night had fell, but the cabins in the saloon was well lit up, but too far away for me to tell what was going on. But the noise was so familiar, I thought for a minute I must be back on Bear Creek again, cause men was yelling and cussing and guns was banging, and a big voice roaring over the din. Once it sounded like somebody got knocked through a door, and it made me right homesick. It was so much like a dance on Bear Creek. I pulled the bars out of the window, trying to see what was going on, but all I could see was what looked like men flying head first out of the saloon, and when they hit the ground and stopped rolling, they jumped up and run off in all directions, hollering like the Apaches was on their heels. Pretty soon I seen somebody running toward the jail as hard as he could leg it, and it was the sheriff. Most of his clothes was tore off, and he had blood on his face, and he was gasping and panting. We got a job for you, Elkins, he panted. Oh, 
Wild man from Texas just hit town and is terrorizing the citizens. If you'll protect us and lay out this fiend from the prairies, we'll remit your fine. Listen at that. From the noise, I judged the aforesaid wild man had splintered the panels out of the bar. What started him on his rampage, I asked. Ah, oh, somebody said they made better chili con carne in Santa Fe than they did in El Paso, says the sheriff. So this maniac starts cleaning up the town. Well, I don't blame him, I said. That was a dirty lie and low-down slander. My folks all come from Texas, and if you cougar-paw coyotes thinks you can slander the state and get away with it. We don't think nothing, wailed the sheriff, wringing his hands and jumping like a startled deer every time a crash resounded up the street. We admits the Lone Star State is the cream of the West in all ways. Listen, will you lick this homicidal lunatic for us? You got to, darn it. You got to work out your fine and... Oh, all right, I said, kicking the door down before he could unlock it. I'll do it. I can't waste much time in this town. I got an engagement down the road tomorrow at sunup. The street was deserted, but heads was sticking out of every door and window. The sheriff stayed on my heels till I was a few feet from the saloon. Then he whispered, Go to it and make it a good job. If anybody can lick that grizzly in there, it's you. He then ducked out of sight behind the nearest cabin after handing me my gun belt. I stalked into the saloon and seen a gigantic figure standing at the bar and just fixing to pour himself a dram out of a demijohn. He had the place to himself, but it weren't near as much of a wreck as I'd expected. As I come in, he wheeled with a snarl quick as a cat and flashing out a gun. I drawed one of mine just as quick, and for a second we stood there, glaring at each other over the barrels. Breckenridge Elkins, says he, my own flesh and blood kin. Cousin Bearfield Buckner, I says, shoving my gun back in its scabbard. I didn't even know you was in Nevada. I got a rambling foot, says he, holstering his shooting iron. Put her there, cousin Breckenridge. By golly, I'm glad to see you, I said, shaking with him. Then I recollected. Hey, I says, I gotta lick you. What you mean, he demanded. Ah, oh, I says, I got arrested and ain't got no money to pay my fine, and I gotta work it out. Licking you was the job they give me. I ain't got no use for law, he said grumpily. Still, and all, if I had any dough, I'd pay your fine for you. And Elkins don't accept no charity, I said, slightly nettled. We works for what we gets. I pays my fine by licking the hell out of you, Cousin Bearfield. At this he lost his temper. He was always hot-headed that way. His black brows come down and his lips curled up away from his teeth, and he clenched his fists, which was about the size of mallets. What kind of kinfolks are you? he scowled. I don't mind a friendly fight between relatives, but... Your intentions is mercenary and unworthy of a true Elkins. You put me in mind of the fact that your old man had to leave Texas account of a hoss getting its head tangled in a lariat he was toting in his absent-minded way. That 
There is a cussed lie, I said with heat. Pap left Texas because he wouldn't take the Yankee oath after the Civil War, and you know it. Anyway, I added bitingly, nobody can ever say a Elkins ever stole a chicken and roasted it in a chaparral thicket. He started violently and turned pale. What you hintin' at, you son of Belial? he hollered. Your iniquities ain't no family secret, I assured him bitterly. Aunt Atascosa writ Uncle Jefford Grimes about you stealin' that there Wyandot hen off old man Westfall's roost. Shut up, he bellered, jumping up and down in his wrath and clutching his six shooters convulsively. I were just a yearlin' when I lefted that there foulin' edit, and I were plumb famished because a posse had been chasing me six days. They was after me account of Joel Richardson happenin' to be in my way when I was emptying my buffalo rifle. Blast your soul, I have shot better men than you for talking about chickens around me. Nevertheless, I said, the fact remains that you're the only one of the clan which ever swiped a chicken. No Elkins never stole no hen. No, he sneered, they prefers hosses. Just then I noticed that a crowd had gathered timidly outside the doors and windows and was listening eagerly to this exchange of family scandals. So I said, we've talked enough. The time for action is a riv. When I first seen you, Cousin Bearfield, the thought of committing mayhem onto you was very distasteful. But after our recent conversation, I feels I can scramble your homely features with a free and joyful spirit. Let's have a snort, then get down to business. Suits me, he agreed, hanging his gun belt on the bar. Here's a jug with about a gallon of red liquor into it. So we each taken a medium-sized snort, which of course emptied the jug. Then I hitch my belt and says, Which does you desire first, Cousin Bearfield? A busted leg or a fractured skull? Wait a minute, he requested as I approached him. What's that on your boot? I stooped over to see what it was, and he swung his leg and kicked me in the mouth as hard as he could, and immediately busted into a guffaw of brutal mirth. Whilst he was thus employed, I spit his boot out and butted him in the belly with a violence which changed his haw-haw to an agonized grunt. Then we laid hands on each other and rolled back and forth across the floor, biting and gouging, and that was how the tables and chairs got busted. Mayor Middleton must have been watching through a window, because I heard him squall. My God, they're wrecking my saloon! Sheriff, arrest them both! And the sheriff hollered back, I took your orders all I aimed to, Jonathan Middleton. If you want to stop that double cyclone, get in there and do it yourself. Presently we got tired scrambling around on the floor amongst the cuspidors, so we riz simultaneous, and I splintered the roulette wheel with his carcass, and he hit me on the jaw so hard he knocked me clean through the bar, and all the bottles fell off the shelves and showered round me, and the ceiling lamp come loose and spilled about a gallon of red-hot aisle down his neck. Whilst he was employed with the aisle, I clumb up from among the debris of the bar and started my right fist in a swing from the floor, and after it traveled, maybe nine feet, 
It took Cousin Bearfield under the jaw, and he hit the opposite wall so hard he knocked out a section and went clean through it, and that was when the roof fell in. I started kicking and throwing the ruins off me, and then I was aware of Cousin Bearfield lifting logs and beams off of me, and in a minute I crawled out from under him. I could have got out all right, I said, but just the same, I'm much obliged to you. Blood's thicker than water, he grunted, and hit me under the jaw and knocked me about seventeen feet backwards toward the mayor's cabin. He then rushed forward and started kicking me in the head, but I riz up in spite of his efforts. Get away from that cabin, screamed the mayor, but it was too late. I hit Cousin Bearfield between the eyes, and he crashed into the mayor's rock chimney and knocked the whole base loose with his head and the chimney collapsed, and the rocks come tumbling down on him. But, being a Texas buckner, Bearfield riz out of the ruins. He not only riz, but he had a rock in his hand about the size of a watermelon, and he busted it over my head. This infuriated me, because I seen he had no intention of fighting fair. So I tore a log out of the wall of the mayor's cabin and belted him over the ear with it and Cousin Bearfield bit the dust. He didn't get up that time. Whilst I was trying to get my breath back and shaking the sweat out of my eyes, all the citizens of Cougar Paw come out of their hiding places, and the sheriff yelled, You done a good job, Elkins. You're a free man. He is like hell, screamed Mayor Middleton, doing a kind of war dance, whilst weeping and cussing together. Look at my cabin! I'm a ruined man. Sheriff, arrest that man. Witchin, inquired the sheriff. The feller from Texas, said Middleton bitterly. He's unconscious, and it won't be no trouble to drag him to jail. Run the other out of town. I don't never want to see him no more. Hey, I said indignantly. You can't arrest Cousin Bearfield. I ain't going to stand for it. Will you resist the officer of the law? asked the sheriff, sticking his gallus out with his thumb. You represents the law whilst you wear your badge, I inquired. As long as I got that badge on, boasts he, I am the law. Well, I said, spitting on my hands, you ain't got it on now. You done lost it somewhere in the shuffle tonight, and you ain't nothing but a common citizen like me. Get ready. For I'm coming head on and wide open. I whoop me a whoop. He glanced down in a stunned sort of way at his empty gallus. Then he give a scream and took out up the street with most of the crowd streaming out behind him. Stop, you cowards, screamed Mayor Middleton. Come back here and arrest these scoundrels. Ah, shut up, I said disgustedly and give him a kind of push. And... How was I to know it would dislocate his shoulder blade? It was just beginning to get light by now, but Cousin Bearfield wasn't showing no signs of consciousness, and I heard them cougar-paw skunks yelling to each other back and forth from the cabins where they'd forted themselves, and from what they said, I knowed they figured on opening up on us with their Winchesters as soon as it got light enough to shoot good. Just then I noticed a wagon standing down by the wagon yard, so I picked up Cousin Bearfield and lugged him down there and throwed him into the wagon. 
Far be it from a Elkins to leave a senseless relative to the mercy of a cougar paw mob. I went into the corral where them two wild mules was and started putting harness onto them, and it warn't no child play. They hadn't never been worked before, and they fell onto me with a free and hearty enthusiasm. Once they had me down stomping on me, and the citizens of Cougar Paw made a kind of half-hearted sally. But I unlimbered my forty-fives and throwed a few slugs in their direction, and they all hollered and run back into their cabins. I finally had to stun them fool mules with a bat over the ear with my fist, and before they got their senses back, I had em harnessed to the wagon, and Captain Kidd and Cousin Bearfield's hoss tied to the rear end. He's stealing our mules, howled somebody, and taking a wild shot at me as I headed down the street, standing up in the wagon, and keeping them crazy critters straight by sheer strength on the lines. I ain't stealing nothing, I roared as we thundered past the cabins where spurts of flame was already streaking out of the winders. I'll send this here wagon and these mules back tomorrow. The citizens answered with bloodthirsty yells and a volley of lead, and with their benediction singing past my ears, I left Cougar Paw in a cloud of dust and profanity. Then mules, after a vain effort to stop and kick loose from the harness, laid their bellies to the ground and went stampeding down that crooked mountain road like scared jackrabbits. We went around each curve on one wheel, and sometimes we'd hit a stump that'd throw the whole wagon several foot into the air, and that must have been what brung Cousin Bearfield to himself. He was laying sprawled in the bed, and finally we took a bump that throwed him in a somersault clean to the other end of the wagon. He hit on his neck and riz up on his hands and knees and looked round dazedly at the trees and stumps which was flashing past, and bellered, what the hell's happening? Where at am I, anyway? You're on your way to Bear Creek, Cousin Bearfield, I yelled, cracking my whip over them fool mules' backs. yippee ki yi This here's fun, ain't it, Cousin Bearfield? I was thinking of Joan, waiting with her store-bought shoes for me down the road. And in spite of my cuts and bruises, I was rolling high and handsome. Slow up! roared Cousin Bearfield, trying to stand up, but just then we went crashing down a steep bank, and the wagon tilted, throwing Cousin Bearfield to the other end of the wagon, where he rammed his head with great force against the front gate. Expletive deleted, says Cousin Bearfield, glug, because we had hit the creek bed going full speed, and knocked all the water out of the channel, and about a hundred gallons splashed over into the wagon, and nearly washed Cousin Bearfield out. If I ever get out of this alive, promised Cousin Bearfield, I'll kill you if it's the last thing I do. But at that moment the mule stampeded up the bank on the other side, and Cousin Bearfield was catapulted to the rear end of the wagon so hard he knocked out the end gate with his head and nearly went out after it, only he just managed to grab himself. We went plunging along the road, and the wagon hopped from stump to stump, and sometimes it crashed through a thicket of brush. Captain Kidd and the other hoss was thundering after us, and the mules was braying, and I was whooping, and Cousin Bearfield was cussing, and pretty soon I looked back at him and hollered, 
Hold on, Cousin Bearfield. I'm going to stop these critters. We're close to the place where my gal will be waiting for me. Look out, you blame fool, screamed Cousin Bearfield. And then the mules left the road and went one on each side of a white oak tree, and the tongue splintered, and they run right out of the harness and kept hightailing it. But the wagon piled up on that tree with a jolt that throwed me and Cousin Bearfield head first into a blackjack thicket. Cousin Bearfield vowed and swore when he got back home that I picked this thicket special on account of the hornet's nest that was there, and drove into it plumb deliberate, which same is a lie which I'll stuff down his gizzard next time I cut his sign. He claimed they was trained hornets, which I educated not to sting me. But the fact was, I had sense enough to lay there plumb quiet. Cousin Bearfield was fool enough to run. Well, he knows by this time, I reckon, that the fastest man afoot can't no ways match speed with a hornet. He'd taken out through the brush and thickets yelping and hollering and hopping most bodacious. He run in a circle, too, for in three minutes he come bellering back, gave one last hop, and dove back into the thicket. By this time I figured he'd wore the hornets out, so I came alive again. I extricated myself first and located Cousin Bearfield by his profanity. I laid hold onto his hind leg and pulled him out. He lost most of his clothes in the process, and his temper wasn't no better. He seemed to blame me for his misfortunes. Don't touch me, he said fiercely. Leave me be. I'm as close to Bear Creek right now as I want to be. Where's my hoss? The hosses had broke loose when the wagon piled up, but they hadn't gone far, because they was fighting with each other in the middle of the road. Bearfield's hoss was about as big and mean as Captain Kidd. We separated em, and Bearfield clumb aboard without a word. Where are you going, Cousin Bearfield? I asked. As far away from you as I can, he said bitterly. I've saw all the Elkinsons I can stand for a while. Doubtless your intentions is good, but a man better get chawed by lions than rescued by an Elkins. And with a few more observations which highly shocked me, and which I won't repeat, he rode off at full speed, looking very peculiar, because his pants was about all that hadn't been tore off him, and he had scratches and bruises all over him. I was sorry Cousin Bearfield was so sensitive, but I didn't waste no time brooding over his ingratitude. The sun was up, and I knowed Joan would be waiting for me where the path come down onto the road from the mountain. Sure enough, when I come to the mouth of the trail, there she was. But she didn't have on her store-bought shoes, and she looked flustered and scared. Breckenridge, she hollered running up to me before I could say a word. Something terrible's happened. My brother was in Cougar Paw last night, and a big bully beat him up something awful. Some men are bringing him home on a stretcher. One of them rode ahead to tell me. How come I didn't pass him on the road, I said. And she said, They walked and taken a shortcut through the hills. There they come now. I seen some men come onto the road a few hundred yards away and come toward us, lugging somebody on a stretcher, like she said. 
Come on, she says, tugging at my sleeve. Get down off your horse and come with me. I want him to tell you who done it so you can whoop the scoundrel. I got an ID. I know who done it, I said, climbing down. But I'll make sure. I figured it was one of Cousin Bearfield's victims. Why, look, said Joan. How funny the men are acting since you started toward them. They've sought down the litter, and they're running off into the woods. Bill, she shrilled as we drawed nigh. Bill, are you hurt bad? A busted leg and some broke ribs, moaned the victim on the litter, which also had his head so bandaged I didn't recognize him. Then he sought up with a howl. "'What's that ruffian doing with you?' he roared, and to my amazement I recognized Bill Santry. "'Why, he's a friend of iron, Bill,' Joan begun, but he interrupted her loudly and profanely. "'Friend, hell! He's John Elkin's brother, and furthermore, he's the one which is responsible for the crippled and mutilated condition in which you now seize me.' Joan said nothing. She turned and looked at me in a very peculiar manner, then dropped her eyes shyly to the ground. Now, Joan, I begun, when all at once I saw what she was looking for. One of the men had dropped a Winchester before he run off. Her first bullet knocked off my hat as I forked Captain Kidd, and her second, third, and fourth missed me so close I felt their hot wind. Then Captain Kidd rounded a curve with his belly to the ground, and my busted romance was left far behind me. A couple of days later, a mass of heartaches and bruises, which might have been recognized as Breckenridge Elkins, the pride of Bear Creek, rode slowly down the trail that led to the settlements on the aforementioned creek. And as I rode, it was my fortune to meet my brother John coming up the trail on foot. Where you been? he greeted me hypocritically. You look like you've been wrestling a pack of mountain lions. I eased myself down from the saddle and said without heat, John, just what was it that Bill Santry promised you? Oh, says John with a laugh. I skinned him in a hoss trade before I left Cougar Paw and he promised if he ever met me he'd give me the licking of my life. I'm glad you don't hold no hard feelings, Breck. It were just a joke, me sending you up there. You can take a joke, can't you? Sure, I said. By the way, John, how's your toe? It's all right, says he. Let me see, I insisted. Set your foot on that stump. He done so, and I give it an awful belt with the butt of my Winchester. That there is a receipt for your joke, I grunted, as he danced around on one foot and wept and swore. And so saying, I mounted and rode on in gloomy grandeur. Uh, Elkins always pays his debts. End of the Riot at Cougar Paw End of Bear Creek Collection Volume 1 by Robert Howard
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.